Welcome to the Beyond Devices podcast. My name is Jan Dawson and with me is Aaron Miller. This is our question of the week episode this week. Uh, we're using this as an opportunity to do a deep dive into Apple earnings. So if you like, the question is, what should we make of Apple's earnings for the March quarter that were announced uh, yesterday evening, Tuesday evening, we're recording this Wednesday morning. So we're going to be doing a deep dive on Apple's earnings this week. We'll dive through sort of some of the product level reporting uh, by segment. We'll talk about a couple of other things as well. So um, this is uh, going to be the, the entirety of this episode. We'll be talking about those Apple earnings. And we, we do this pretty much every quarter when it comes to Apple earnings. We tend to round up other earnings into news roundup episodes. So we'll go through product by product. I think we'll start out probably talking about uh, the iPhone uh, and some other uh, individual product categories. And we'll talk about some other non-product related stuff like China and R&D spend towards the end of the episode as well. Um, just kicking off on iPhone, as an interesting quarter. I think this is one of the first quarters, and I haven't had a chance to actually double-check this in my notes and my model, but I think it's one of the first quarters where we saw iPhone shipments go one way and revenue overall for the company go the other way. So revenue grew for Apple as a whole. It actually accelerated uh, from last uh, quarter, um, especially if you exclude the sort of impact of the extra week in last quarter relative to a year before. Um, so overall revenue growth is accelerating. It's still fairly modest. But iPhone shipments are actually down slightly year on year. And uh, there was a different uh, inventory picture this quarter. That, that means if you strip that out, it's more flat than down. But there was still a slight dip in iPhone shipments. So that was kind of interesting. Uh, but one of the most notable things on the call was Tim Cook talking quite explicitly about seeing a pause in people buying iPhones ahead of rumors of something exciting coming later in the year. And clearly that isn't a massive pause because they didn't see a massive drop in shipments or anything like that. So to some extent you see this lull in the first and second quarter and most of the third quarter every year as people have made their upgrades if they're going to do it sort of early on in the cycle and things slow down a bit. But he's certainly indicating that they're seeing a bigger slow down than usual and that, that's interesting it's obviously potentially bad news for the short term if they see lower sales in the next couple of quarters because there are just such strong and persistent rumors about what might be coming later in the year good news potentially later in the year though because it reinforces this narrative about a super cycle being on the way off the back of a really big upgrade um, just means apple actually has to deliver on what people are expecting you know there's a lot of reports and rumors out there some of them certainly suggesting you know the higher end iphone could be much more expensive I'm still somewhat skeptical on that. I think it probably is a $100 upgrade over the sort of plus range. Um, but also some reports that it might slip into early next year, or at least in volume. So, um, you know, Apple's going to have an interesting time of things. And I think in particular guidance next quarter is going to be fascinating because it's got to speak to all of that without speaking explicitly about any of it. But Aaron, what was your take on the iPhone stuff? Yeah, well, it feels like Tim Cook hinted at it pretty strongly anyway. Um that there's going to be a big cycle coming for iPhone. <clears throat> I just, you know, I, I think what's interesting is that, like you said, I'm pretty sure this is a quarter where iPhone moved one direct, moved down when when uh, overall revenue went up. Um, but that has been that's been the strategy. That's the way they're headed and have been headed for a while now. Um, and so I think, you know, as other product categories grow, like wearables and services, as we're going to talk about, they'll, uh, they're will they going to offset the over-reliance on iPhone, which was a huge benefit to the company, you know, a few years ago. But now is is this kind of, they've, they've tied their fate to this massive thing that it turns out is, you know, swinging in the wrong direction right now. And, and it's so big and has so much um <clears throat> outside forces pushing its momentum one direction or another. I'm, I'm sure that the, 
that the management team just feels like they need to not stake their fortunes on it. So I, I think what we've seen this quarter is is something that we'll see another iPhone super cycle, but hopefully if management has done its job at Apple, you know, when the next super cycle wears out and an iPhone shipments drop again, uh, revenue won't necessarily drop with it. Right. Yeah. Services business is kind of critical to maintaining overall revenue, at least somewhat, even as the sort of hardware side of things drops out. Right. Um, let's move on to talking about the iPad. There was some interesting stuff there. Um, obviously continued decline. I mean, it's become fairly predictable at this point, especially on the shipment side, less predictable on the revenue side where rising ASP off the back of the iPad Pros has offset things a little bit. Um, but one of the most interesting things that was mentioned in the call there is that if you exclude the iPad mini, so if you only look at 9.7 inches and above, so um, this is what they call the most popular size and then the super size that's available for the iPad Pro, uh, those are actually growing in revenue. And again, not necessarily growing in shipments, but growing in revenue. So, you know, it's really the iPad mini that's dragging down the iPad and the iPad's really the only thing that's dragging down overall performance right now. Everything else was up in the quarter. So interesting to think about, you know, what Apple growth rates would look like overall if you stripped out the iPad mini. Um, you know, it would certainly be a stronger overall growth rate. And you wonder, you know, as they continue to sort of de-emphasize that smaller form factor, you know, that's just going to continue to drop as a percentage of total sales. And that means the impact from the decline there is going to shrink over time as well. And that in turn could help the iPad to get back to revenue growth in time as well. Even if there isn't a massive, you know, change in behavior around the larger iPads, just the relative mix of those two uh, could make a big difference. Yeah. Well, and those growth numbers don't include the fifth generation iPad that was announced at the end of the quarter. And I, I think that, I think they're going to I think I suspect they've already seen a lot of sales in that regard. It'll be interesting. I mean, obviously, that's going to push down average selling price, um, which is going to have an effect on the revenue to to unit ship mix. But at, by the by the same token, I think uh, there are a whole bunch of people who in the past were buying iPad minis, not because they preferred the smaller size, but because it was the budget entry model. That was cheaper. Exactly. And now they're getting a 9.7 inch iPad at the entry price that's super capable. And I, I think I, I, I think at the end of this quarter, we're going to see we're going to see some iPad growth for that reason. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, no, that'll be very interesting to watch. I think it'll, it'll have an interesting impact on ISPs as well, because that right. three hundred twenty nine dollar base price is quite a bit lower than where iPad ASP is, which I think off the top of my head is somewhere in the 450 range. Um, so it'll it'll probably drag ASPs down quite a bit, having gone up a bit, as I say, off the back of the iPad Pro. But I think overall still positive sort of trend around the iPad for Apple potentially coming off the back of that. And I think that's the reason the iPad mini is being neglected, quote unquote, by Apple, um, is because internally they probably figured out there are a lot of people who are buying it just because it was the entry model price wise not because they preferred the smaller size necessarily and i and i think there are a bunch of people who are probably happier with a bigger ipad now that it's yeah. so, so inexpensive yeah absolutely it's a better experience for a lot of the things that you'd want to do with it and given yeah, exactly. you know, the seven plus you know screen sizes the, the delta <laughs> yeah. from between that to ipad mini is not that big anyway right um, well, let's move on to talking about Apple Watch. And actually, we'll talk a bit more broadly than that also about you know, what Apple is now describing as its wearables business, including AirPods and Beats as well. Uh, and of course, Apple doesn't break this out. It all sits in the other products category, 
um, which you know also includes other stuff uh, like Apple TV and um, accessories and various other bits and pieces. So it's hard to pass out Apple Watch specifically or anything, but we got an interesting bit of commentary this quarter where Tim Cook said that that wearables business, so Apple Watch and AirPods and Beats together is the size of a Fortune 500 company. Uh, and you know, if you look up the Fortune 500 list, look at the bottom company, which is uh, at about $5 billion in revenue. So you know, that's your ballpark. And then later in the call, he actually said, we're well into the Fortune 500. And just looking at my model numbers, I, I have about $5 billion in revenue last year from the Apple Watch alone. And I think AirPods and Beats could easily add another billion to that. So I think they're probably talking about a roughly six, slightly over $6 billion revenue stream annually from what they call wearables now, which is pretty meaningful because if you look at sort of Fitbit, they're at two point something billion last year. Uh, you know, pretty much every other company in that category is smaller than that. So, you know, Apple now by far the largest wearables company, if you define it that way, even if you just define it at Apple Watch, they're already there. But you know, this more expansive vision and, you know, AirPods look like they, they added pretty meaningfully to revenue in that category, even though, you know, they're still sort of six weeks back ordered. Um, although there was a, a tweet that I saw earlier today that they're currently available on Amazon. But uh, for the most part, they've been very hard to get hold of and yet still to be seem to be contributing pretty meaningfully to overall growth in that category. You know, I think the thing about AirPods specifically that is underappreciated is that the wait times prevent it from it prevent a pair of AirPods from being an impulse buy. And $160 seems I'm, to many people obviously is way outside the range of an impulse buy, but not for a bunch of other people. And I think there are a lot of people who have not yet paid for AirPods just out of the convenience sake of it. Um, once Apple can finally catch up on that, and I don't know what's been taking so long because it's been months and months and I just think they way underestimated. That has to be the only explanation that they way underestimated demand for these. But, but once they catch up on that, I think I think sales on AirPods will see hockey stick growth. Not that we'll ever know because they won't report it. But, but, uh, but, but I think once you can get AirPods to a, to the state of being a convenience impulse buy, a convenient impulse buy. Uh, I think you're going to start seeing AirPods everywhere. Right now, I mean, I, I can count on one hand the times I've seen AirPods in the wild. Mm -hmm. But I'm convinced it has way more to do with supply constraints than anything else. Yeah. The fascinating thing, actually, as well, has been to watch. I mean, AirPods have stuck at that price point because why would you reduce it when, you know, you can't even make enough to supply at that price point? But, you know, there are several Beats models now that also have that W1 chip. And those get discounts all the time. You know, I, I just yeah, spotted true. a deal yesterday. It was one that was 97 bucks, and I jumped on that one and bought them because I've been kind of wanting an alternative. Uh, I have AirPods and use them regularly for the gym and various other things, but uh, I was kind of curious to, to get what The Verge calls neck buds um, as well. So I jumped on that a deal for those yesterday, but they've been a steady stream of those deals. If you follow any kind of online deal sites, you'll see a steady stream of the Beats W1 headphones so i expect they're selling very well too and it's an argument to me made that those are sort of the the mass market version of these that you know they're, they're cooler in a lot of ways you know the airpods are great device but they definitely don't look cool um you know some of these other ones the over ear ones or the neck buds or whatever may may look a little cooler for certain segments of the population and, and that may be more important to them but those have had regular discounts and so there's some scale building up i suspect around those as well at this point well, and those AirPods on Amazon, I was just checking, or it must be out of stock now, because because uh, they're now, you know, they're always there are always other sellers selling iPods and right, 
It looks like the cheapest you can get them is 190 used. <laughs> oh, wow. Like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it's crazy to me. You know, I think that switching back over to watch, I think the fact that, 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 uh, that the watch has doubled mm-hmm. and more than doubled in six out of their 10 markets, um, it, it runs right in the face of the news earlier this week about Google Maps and Amazon and, and some other big uh, companies pulling their apps from the watch um, mm-hmm. platform. I think I think the the watch is finally settling into its value proposition. I think we know a lot more what it, it's supposed to be now, um, right? And it's still something people seem to want. The problem is, it's always being compared to iPhone. Yeah, but anything's a failure compared to the iPhone. Right, that's the curse of the iPhone, right? <clears throat> yeah. That's right. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about the Mac quickly. Um, you know, the Mac was interesting. I, I had a tweet, which it's been—it's always funny. Somebody picks it up and retweets it, and then it gets masses of attention, and and a lot of people misinterpret the graph. And so I spend most of the evening correcting people's interpretations of it. But um, you know, I posted a, a, a Mac ASP chart, so revenue per unit sold for the Mac line as a whole. You know, because Apple doesn't break down different models or anything within the Mac. But, you know, the big thing that's changed in the last couple of quarters with the Mac is the new MacBook Pros with the touch bar are also available without it, which bump up prices. Um, and if you look at what's happened to average selling prices, they were down just under $1,200 two quarters ago. They jumped up to 1350 the previous quarter and almost 1400 this past quarter. So, you know, a Q1 when, when things are usually pretty low, um, you know, they've spiked up to the highest they've been in recent memory. Um, you know, the last time we saw a similar spike was when the Mac Pro launched several years ago, which, of course, was the last time they had a much higher priced model come out that people had been widely anticipating. So, um, you know, I, I sort of said, in case you're wondering how the MacBook Pro models are selling, you know, here's this chart. As I say, lots of people were misinterpreting it. And um, But the point is, you know, ASP spiked, and the only reasonable explanation is the MacBook Pro is selling very well despite... Uh, all the sort of naysaying and all the criticisms about, you know, the, the touch bar not adding much value and it being underpowered and not good enough for pros and creatives and so on. There clearly are plenty of people out there that disagree with all of that and have paid for them anyway. And, you know, it's bumped up ASPs by a couple of hundred dollars in the process. So, you know, it seemed to be selling pretty well on that basis. Uh, and the Mac as a whole, you know, shipments were up, revenues were up even more because of that rise in ASPs. So, you know, having a pretty healthy period again after a bit of a lull early last year. And I think that's the unit ship that it, I think is the biggest indicator that the MacBook Pro is doing, has been doing just fine, contrary to the narrative out there. Because, um, you know, if there really was this negative reaction, you would have seen Mac sales flat or, or continue to decline. But uh, that wasn't the case at all. In fact, from Q4 to Q1, there was a pretty huge spike. Q4 by Apple, I guess, so Q3 calendar mm-hmm. to, you know, to Q4 calendar. There's a huge spike and then a continued slight growth again into the next quarter, the second quarter that these laptops are available. And so I, I, I think it's, there's there's just, there's there's a lot of anecdotal evidence that people are frustrated with and are not buying the new MacBook Pro, complaining about, you know, it's connectivity or whatever, power or whatever. But the sales numbers tell a really different story. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in Q2, Q3 calendar last year, um, we saw sort of five to 900,000 drop in shipments year on year. And what we've seen since then is 
um, you know, 100 to 200,000 growth. So the net change is sort of anywhere between 700 and a million additional units compared to the trend that we were seeing before those new MacBook Pros came out. So that gives you some sense of what they've done to the overall trend line. And obviously some of the sales will have substituted what would have been other sales in previous quarters. So the actual effect of the MacBook Pro is probably even larger than that in terms of actual sales. But right. certainly seems to be selling very well and, and as I say, raising ASPs to, you know, recently unprecedented levels in the process. Yeah. That's exactly right. Um, all right. Well, last sort of bit of segment talk that we'll do is about the services business. And it's obviously been a major story for Apple for you know the last couple of years. They really emphasized that as the hardware uh, revenues have been slumping a little bit off the back of the iPhone, going through a down cycle. Um, but you know this is, continues to grow very rapidly, 18% year-on-year growth for the last two quarters. It was slightly higher than that in percentage terms the quarters before that. Uh, 40% app store growth. Um, you know, I reckon they probably had about 60% growth in Apple Music revenues. Uh, that's still only about 18% of the services line. So it's definitely not as big a contributor as App Store growth is, but it's still a useful additional contributor. And if you look at the trend line for Apple services uh, revenue over time, the Apple Music launch seems to have uh, tilted the trajectory up slightly. So it's definitely been helpful for them. Uh, and Aaron, we were kind of running through some numbers right before we started about this this projection of doubling revenue from services over four years. Um, so we kind of, uh, this was a projection that was made last quarter as Apple's goal basically from 2016 to 2020 to double services revenue. Um, and, you know, that growth rate of 18% almost gets them there. It probably gets in about 90 something percent of that number. So all you need is one or two additional sort of services uh, businesses to, to kind of drive that growth slightly faster and they'd easily hit that doubling uh, target that they have. Yeah, well, and if you calculate it at a 19% growth rate, they do get there. And, and, and I think that what's interesting to me about that is, and I had even said this when they made that prediction that I just didn't see how they could get to doubling over four years without, um, without adding some major new service to, to add revenue to that business line. Um, I'm, I'm backing away from that now because I don't think that's necessarily true, especially because the way they talked about on the call yesterday that that the longer people stay in the ecosystem, the more likely they are to push up services revenue. They're earning more per device owner the longer that device owner is in um, the ecosystem. Um, and not just sort of like accumulatively earning more, but like the, the amount of, of services that people are willing to pay for goes up as time goes on when they're in the ecosystem. <clears throat> That's even been true for me personally, like anecdotally, I think at first I sort of, and we talked about this in an episode a long time ago, the idea of getting used to paying a monthly bill to Apple was a little bit hard <laughs> at first, but, but now that I've gotten accustomed to it, I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm, I, I'm valuing the things that I pay for on a monthly basis with Apple, so I'm comfortable with it, and I think it opens the door to me being willing to pay for other things too. The other thing that's interesting to me is that app store revenue has gone up and continues to grow, which I think uh, is unique to the iOS platform. Um, the way that that has continued to grow, people are more comfortable buying apps and, and as time goes on, they're even more comfortable buying apps or spending money on apps through subscriptions, in-app subscriptions or other in-app purchases. and. And I think that all bodes well for Apple. So I'm not sure that they necessarily, I mean, I think it's inevitably true that over the next four years, they're going to add new services that have the drive revenue up in that category. But I don't think it's necessary, necessarily the case that they need it to hit their goal of doubling by the end of 2020. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And one of the other big drivers they talked about was a subscription business. And this was kind of interesting because they talked about this a couple of other places previously. One was when they did their sort of traditional beginning of January app store press release. Um, they talked about subscription billings in 2016 being $2.7 billion. And that was up 74% from 2015. And of course, last year was when they expanded subscriptions and that subscription in app purchase model to uh, all 25 app categories beyond the, the ones where it had been previously available. Uh, so it was a big year for subscriptions, but they also talked in last quarter's earnings call about having 150 million paid subscriptions active between you know Apple Music and then third-party stuff uh, like Netflix and HBO Now and so on and so forth being bought through the App Store. Uh, that went up from 150 million last quarter to 165 million at the end of the March quarter. So you know that's growing rapidly. The billings grew rapidly last year. Um, and so, you know, that's going to be an increasingly important contributor is not just sort of one app, one off app purchases or Apple's own subscriptions, but this increasingly rapidly growing third party subscription business is going to be a big part of that revenue growth picture, too. And, and you can easily see that that would help kind of get that trajectory going even faster. Well, and I wish I had thought to look this up before we recorded. But if you take that subscription revenue and compare it to other digital subscriptions, service based services out there. You know, Apple's doing pretty well, I, at least that's what it seems like. And we'd have to go in and actually make the comparisons. But <clears throat> they're just growing off such a huge base of iOS installs that there's a ton of upside and continued growth in this. If they ever do move into video, for example, in earnest, um, I think that it, they're going to quickly become a, a major player just simply because of the ecosystem that they that they manage. It's, that's been the case for Apple Music, um, and although they haven't, you know, hit the number of listeners that Spotify has, it'd be fascinating to compare, um, you know, the, the 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 revenue in that regard. So it, I don't know. I, I I think services is this sleeping giant kind of business for Apple um, that is going to get huge probably gradually for a little while longer, and then people are going to look back and go, yeah, of course it's big. You know, even though if you look around now, I, th I think most people still aren't really appreciating how big it can become. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there was a, an interesting um, chart from Recode. It was Dan Fromer. Um, he compared Apple services revenue in Q1 to Netflix and Amazon Web Services and found that Apple services revenue is bigger than AWS and Netflix combined. Right. Uh, so, you, you know, it gives you some sense. And that's that services as a whole. It's not all the subscription business, but... Uh, but also, if you kind of crunch the numbers on that subscription business, you know, if it was $2.7 billion in billings last year, they probably had an average of maybe $80 million during the course of the year, maybe higher than that. You end up getting a sort of revenue per year per user of about $34. Bucks. Um, so, you know, these subscriptions are bringing in quite a bit per subscriber. And you, know, you think about what those are. You know, Netflix is, you know, 10 bucks a month roughly, depending on which plan you're on. Uh, you know, MLB at bat is, you know, 15 bucks a month during the course of the season. Um, or, you know, 120 or whatever it is for the whole season. You know, a lot of these things are fairly high value subscriptions too, and that's just going to grow. So, again, another useful sort of driver there. Yeah. 
Um, well, two other things beyond the segments that are worth talking about. I think one is China. Um, it's obviously an ongoing theme. We talked about last quarter too. It's worth mentioning again that you know the region that Apple reports is actually called Greater China, which, as somebody pointed out yesterday, probably doesn't make people in Beijing or Taipei very happy. But um, this is called Greater China and includes Hong Kong and Taiwan as well as the People's Republic of China. And what Apple said very clearly over the last couple of quarters is it's really Hong Kong that's dragging things down the most at the moment because there's a lot of um, reselling that goes on, people buying in Hong Kong, selling elsewhere, whether that's tourists coming from markets where there aren't Apple stores, whether that's people doing it professionally. Uh, and that's really dropped off because of currency and other things. So uh, they've mentioned that now two quarters in a row. So Hong Kong is a drag on the Greater China region. So Greater China numbers aren't necessarily representative of what's happening in the People's Republic of China. Um, but there was also a lot of talk on the earnings call about uh, retail in China in particular. And, and I, alongside earnings, I update a few other things that I have that aren't actually reported in earnings, one of which is retail stores around the world. And um, Apple actually opened a couple more stores in China this quarter. And as a result, it became Apple's second biggest market in terms of number of Apple stores. So the UK had been the second biggest with, I think, 38 stores or something, and China now has, I think, 40. So, uh, you know, they now have more stores in China than any other market except for the U.S. And that's just China, China. That's not Hong Kong. That's not Taiwan. That's not greater China, just China. Uh, but if you compare kind of where their revenue comes from to where they have stores, um, they're still underpenetrated in China by quite a bit. So it's underrepresented in number of stores relative to how much revenue it, it produces. So you can certainly see that number continuing to go up. That was something that's an initiative that started several years ago. And China's gone from being sort of the sixth or seventh largest market a couple of years ago to being the number two market for Apple in terms of stores. So big growth there. And they talked up traffic and various other things in China during the quarter. So, you know, they're clearly seeing a lot of uh, growth there. And, you know, there's foreign currency and other stuff going on in China too. They clearly want it to be better and they're clearly optimistic about the future still, but they're not projecting getting back to growth just yet. You know, I do remember a couple of years ago when the strong dollar was this huge concern with Apple's ability to grow in China. Um, it's funny that's, you know, those concerns have mostly dissolved. I don't, you know, I, they, they, they're at least not at the forefront of the narrative anymore. Um, it, it will be, I, I think, honestly, the biggest risk Apple has always had to growing in, in China proper is, uh, has been uh, political risk. Right. I mean, there's right. always like it's just is keeping government officials who wield a lot of power happy about the nature of the relationship. And and I think that's that's always the risk that can shut them down or help them grow quickly. And and uh, and th like their investment in Didi, I think, is a good example of the kinds of things Apple is doing to be thoughtful about being a good uh, sort of a, a valued contributor to the economy there. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's right. Uh, the last thing we want to talk about just quickly before the end is, is R&D spend. And, and obviously, there's always a lot of interest in this because this is where Apple's uh, research into new potential products goes and things like Project Titan and cars and, and things like that are all in there, uh, as well as obviously work on iterations of current products. So we shouldn't assume that's all going into brand new stuff. Obviously, a big chunk of it goes into you know, the next iPhone, the next iPad, and so on and so forth. Um, but it's interesting. I, I, R&D spend grew pretty predictably for several years there by about 30 to 40% year on year uh, on an annualized basis. And then 
it was in Q4 2015, so their first kind of sign that things were starting to slow down at Apple, that rate dropped down to under 30%, and it stayed there and actually slowed down quite meaningfully since. So it was just under 30% a year and a half ago. It was 17.5% this quarter, so a pretty noticeable slowing down in growth. And what's interesting is, as a result of that, R&D is basically plateauing at about 5% of revenues on an annualized basis. So, you know, in the Tim Cook era, if you like, over the last five years, we've seen it go from about 2% of revenue to 5%, um, and it now seems to be slowing down. So I think they may well be aiming at a sort of steady state of about 5% of revenues, and that's why you see the actual spend growth slow down quite meaningfully uh, over the past year or so, because I think they've reached a level that they're comfortable with. Um, but obviously, a lot of that's going into cars. You know, they just received permission to test self-driving cars in California, finally, on, on public roads. Um, there's been some other details coming out about that, too. You know, this is still an initiative they're taking very seriously. Um, we don't know exactly what the focus is. It looks like it's just the autonomy system rather than cars themselves right now. But, you know, still a heck of a lot of money going in there, even with the slowing in the growth over the last uh, four quarters combined. It's just under $11 billion in R&D. So still a very significant number. Yeah, I have a. I, I'm not sure I buy in entirely to the idea that Apple would target a, a percentage of revenue as far as its R and D spend goes. And I'm not, and I'm just the reason is because I am having a hard time squaring it with my understanding of Apple as a company that just goes after opportunities. Right? They they say no to a lot, and then the stuff that they feel like has potential, they'll say yes to. And I'm not sure that it would they would necessarily budget constrain themselves. I think they opportunity constrain themselves. The the rumor monger in me says that 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 drop in growth of R and D spend ties really closely with all the rumors of Apple back away from, backing away from being its own car producer and now is seems to be targeting being an augmenter of of the car market with self driving technology other things so. I don't know. It's hard to say. I think it'll be really interesting to see what happens over the course of the next year or two with R&D. I could see it swinging. I could see it even changing direction and shrinking if Apple has decided that the car, which has been an expensive, I mean, I'm speculating, but I think it's been an expensive R&D um, project. Um, right. If they're stepping away from that, I could even picture that number ticking down. Or if they've just sort of hit the pause button to explore opportunities and they decide to ramp it up again, I could see it going back up. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, obviously, R&D spend itself is only part of that picture and revenue is part of the picture too in terms of the ratio between the that's two. And obviously, we've seen, a glowing and gro- we've seen a slowing, a dip in revenue and now a, a growth in revenue again. So that's part of that picture as well. But but as I say, it's the year-on-year growth in R&D that's slowed down dramatically over the past year and a half. And maybe, as you say, that's part of backing off from, from Project Titan and refocusing that project. Uh, but given sort of Tim Cook seems to have very deliberately raised it, and you can kind of see if I show you the chart through the podcast here, I would. But, you know, there, there are these very sort of distinct phases in the growth uh, yeah. over time. And, and uh, I do feel like Tim Cook's the kind of guy that does manage to some of that stuff a little bit. But it's speculation, as you say. No, so. but I agree. And that's why that's why I'm still that's why I'm not like ignoring your point, because Tim Cook is that methodical kind of manager who who would sort of say, you know what? Whatever opportunities we do pursue, let's pursue within these constraints. And so, right. yeah, it's yeah you need to have sure. some constraints. Yeah. Right. Good. All right. Um, well, I think that wraps it up for us. Just over half an hour here. So I think it's a good, good time to stop. So hopefully that's useful for you guys. Uh, I hope you found that interesting. As always, we will still have our News Roundup episode later this week, probably on Friday. 
uh, for you and we'll cover some of the week's other news um, just this morning. It's been a busy, busy time. Um, Hulu announced its TV service finally with all the details. Facebook's announced that it's hiring 3,000 uh, people to uh, help to vet live video and that kind of thing to deal with some of the recent nasty stuff that's happened on live video. So lots of interesting stuff happening just today. Obviously, Microsoft made big announcements earlier in the week. So should be plenty for us to talk about on Friday. So uh, tune back in on Friday. Uh, dig back into your podcast app then and find that episode. should be up by the afternoon on Friday. And we look forward to being with you again then. Thanks very much. Bye-bye.